most of fear. So how do we deal with them? Um, how do we find strength and courage in the midst of fear? So we are looking at the fear of uncertainty today. The scriptures mark 4, 35 through 40. And there's actually one verse at the end that was left out. So I'm going to go ahead and read that at the end, even though you don't have it. Mark 4, 35 through 40. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filled. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be back here with you. Uh, if you'll remember, I was gone last week. I went AWOL from the pulpit at Church of the Redeemer. Our family got a little break at Chipoke's Plantation in Surrey. Has anyone heard of Chipoke's Plantation? I'm sure it's Chippeke or something like that, but they call it Chipoke's. And it's this little uh, state park where you can go, and we got a cabin. And amazing, there was no TV. There was no Game Boys, limited cell phone coverage. All we had to do was run around in big fields and throw a Frisbee. It was miserable, let me tell you. You know, it doesn't take a lot, does it, to have fun? And so it's a wonderful time. I'm refreshed and glad to be back here. You know, there was an interesting and a little bit of an alarming incident, though, when we were coming back. We had driven all the way back, and we were about to pull into our neighborhood. And there was a car in front of us, and there was a car right next to us. And there was a car right here looking to cross the street. This is Cross Great Neck Road. So in St. Marshall, there were by Great Neck Meadows. And you know when you see an accident unfolding right before your eyes and you can't say anything? See, this explorer was coming out. It, it, it probably shouldn't have been, but it was trying to beat this car, and it was going to. But this car was a moving screen for a Volkswagen Passat right here. And so this white explorer with the surfer dude type guy was in it, and he pulled out and then slowed down because he was looking at the traffic. And then he looked left, and he saw... Uh, the, the Passat, and the Passat saw him, and right away they both tried to move, and they just, boom, pinwheeled each other. And, and glass and plastic and stuff went everywhere. And, and I'm right there going, <laughs> nothing's coming out, you know? And, oh, there's nothing we can do. And so luckily, everybody was okay. You know, it, was, it was this young guy and this young girl, but she was definitely shaken up. Because just there, she was going along minding her own business, and her life suddenly rushed in front of her face. You know, it's scary when we're living uh, in certainty, and then all of a sudden, something comes along that shakes up our world. You know, I wonder, the next time she drives, if she's going to have this sense, what could happen to me then? What could, if that could happen then, what could happen to me now? Living an uncertain life can be a very challenging thing. You know, in many ways, we're experiencing uncertainty as a country, aren't we? There's a whole lot of uncertainty in our political realm, as there's been a great 
change here, a great vote, and we're wondering, is this a good decision? Was it not a good decision? There's an uncertainty politically. There's an uncertainty economically as we're facing the challenges of, of uh, the decisions we've made as a country. There's a great deal of uncertainty geopolitically as we see some of the challenges in the Middle East and South America and, and, uh, and Asia and China, and we're wondering, what's this brave new world going to be like? <laughs> see, some of us also have experienced that in our own life as we've been beat up, much like that facade. The question we have is this. In an uncertain climate, how do we approach life? How do we not approach life with dread and fear, but rather with courage and confidence? Because there's going to be uncertainty and difficulty in life, isn't there? We can't stop that. Rather, we must change the way we deal with it. Jesus, in this passage, gives an insight into how we are to deal with uncertainty as he deals with the disciples. Because Jesus not only has the power to calm the storm externally, but he's explaining that he has the power to calm the storm internally. I want to suggest to you that the main point of this entire passage is simply this. The solution is not in what we fear, but in who we fear. Because the right fear of the Lord will always lead to calm. But the fear of anything else will always lead to chaos. And so we're going to unpack this passage. I'm going to try to explain what we're talking about. The way I'm going to do this, we're going to look at three specific points. Number one, if we're going to understand this passage, we have to recognize how we approach God. Let's take a look at how the disciples and we approach God. Recognize how we approach God. The second thing is we have to realign our fears with God. Realign. There needs to be a realignment of our heart. And finally, we need to rejoice in the love of God. So to recognize how we approach God, to realign our fears with God, and to finally rejoice in the Word of God. Let's start with the beginning. Recognize how we approach God. Now a little background here. Jesus has been preaching all day. And the crowds have been crushing him. In fact, the crowd, there's been such a big crowd that he literally had to get in a boat and pull off from, shore, uh, from the shore a little bit just so everyone wouldn't crush him and could hear him. And so he's been teaching all day. And I've had the opportunity sometimes to teach for a long period of time, and it is exhausting. So Jesus gets in this boat. He's tired, and in fact, people are coming with him. You see their other boats getting in to follow him. And Jesus is just, he needs a little bit of a rest. We see the humanity of Jesus. So Jesus goes ahead and falls asleep on the cushion. Notice it's not a cushion. There's one cushion, and Jesus, like, grabs the cushion and lies down on the body pillow and just goes to sleep. He wants a little bit of rest. And so they're in this fishing boat going across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes the storm. The Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level, and it's rimmed by these mountains. And so what you have is the, the heat from the sea coming up with the cool of the night, and sometimes it builds these unbelievable storms that come out of nowhere. Now keep in mind, this is a fishing boat that these people are in. And a lot of these guys are fishermen. They've grown up on the water since they were children. They understand the water. But this is a storm that we see is obviously shaking them to the very bones. They are afraid. Now fear is an interesting thing because fear is an interpretation of life, isn't it? Here's an interpretation of life. There's such things as a healthy fear. 
If you're a mom and you're feeding your child in the baby seat and you turn to go get something and then you see them standing in that baby seat, you fear instantly and you run to go ahead and try to save them. But there are other types of fears, not like that, more like a dread. I remember we were skiing in Colorado. It was myself, my wife, and her sister. And we went to a ski place called Arapaho Basin, about 15,000 feet above the tree line to ski. And it's an unbelievable, beautiful place. But that day it was cold and the wind was strong. And as we got off the gondola and you felt the awesomeness of the power of nature, Leellen's sister began to lock up began to be very scared as she saw the conditions and started to weep as she was overcome. And Leon very wisely said, well, I've got to get her down, and so they headed down. But me, as I saw the conditions and I saw the power, I said, I am man, hear me roar. <laughs> and you know, it was time to take the mountain. And so this to me was exciting. It was. It was scary for her. It was exciting for me, and I spent the whole day up there on the mountain. Because fear is an interpretation of life. And so these fishermen are interpreting life. You know, here's kind of the formula that they're walking through. Situation plus myself equals something. Situation, in this case, they're in a fishing boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and water is filling the boat, and they know this is beyond them. Situation plus myself. We are incapable of doing something to solve this problem. Situation plus myself equals fear. Now the word here to show what the fishermen are experiencing, fear is translated from the Greek to English. You can translate it dread. They're dreadfully fear. See, they not only fear, but dread is when you realize what's going to happen. You are afraid. You know that the locomotive is coming. They have dread because they know that they're going to die. But they have an X factor. Jesus Christ, God, is in the back of the boat. See, these were good people. They had seen Jesus. They'd been a part of his ministry. And they'd seen the unbelievable things that he had done. How he had healed the paralytic. How he had said to this man, walk, and he had got up. How he had healed lepers. How he had taken the man with the withered hand and healed it instantly in front of everyone. They knew that he was powerful. And so they called him Lord. They also knew the Old Testament scriptures because they were good Jews. See, water was a symbol of destruction. It was a symbol of wrath, the wrath of God. But it also, the way God handled the water demonstrated his power over judgment. Remember Psalm 1815, the story of Moses in the Red Sea. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemies. Great bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath from your nostrils. As God breathed, the waters were separated, and Israel walked through. What about the story of Noah? Remember Psalm 104. It says, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered the earth with deep as with a garment, and the waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, 
they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. But God is over all of nature. And of course, you all know the story of Jonah, don't you? You know, the story of this and the story of Jonah is eerily similar, isn't it? Jonah, who runs from the Lord, Tarshish, remember? The Lord said, go. He was a prophet. Go preach against the city. And Jonah said, thanks, but no thanks. And he headed in the opposite direction. And as he was on this boat, asleep for fear, right away the storm came. It was the judgment of God following Jonah. And finally, when Jonah obeyed, do you remember? There was great calm. See, something's going on here. But the people, the people, when they see the situation of the water, and they look at Jesus asleep on the back of the boat, they experience fear. We thought this person, Jesus, was the Son of God, but he's just an ordinary man. Just in the back of the boat. And their courage melted. So what do they do? They go to Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Notice, he's no longer the Lord, is he? Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Fear is an interpretation of life, but it's also an interpretation of faith. See, he's not the Lord anymore. He's just a teacher. Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? It's actually in a present participle. It's not, Jesus, do you care that we're going to die? It's, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying right now? You can almost detect a little bit of cynicism in their voice, can't you? A little bitterness. Teacher, don't you care that we're dying right now? They're cynical. You know, what's funny is before they engage in any sort of self-examination, they engage in character assassination. Jesus, why aren't you doing something? But they don't call out to the Lord for power, do they? They call out to the Lord for pity. See, even in the story of Jonah, the pagans who didn't know God came to Jonah and said, Wake up. Call on your God. Perhaps he will save us. But not these disciples who have been with Jesus. They simply woke him up, not for power, but for pity. Don't you care? They show, they betray their perception of life because they didn't come to Jesus at the beginning, did they? It was after the storm came and the boat was filling that they went to Jesus as a last resort. Our perception affects our reality. Some of you may be familiar with the story if you took Psychology 101. This is kind of a case study in real life. And it was the story of a man who accidentally locked himself in a boxcar. You know the story. As far as I can tell, it's a true story. This man who was familiar with the railroads locked himself in the boxcar. Unfortunately, it was a refrigerated boxcar. And this man knew it was a refrigerated boxcar. And so he knew he had to get out of there. And he scrambled and scratched and did whatever he could to get out of this boxcar. But ultimately, he realized that he was stuck in this refrigerated boxcar. And what was interesting is he documented on the side of the car what was going on to him. In the beginning, his first entry, he indicated he was slowly getting colder and colder. That there was nothing he could do but wait. Probably banged on the side of the car. Would anyone hear him? Well, his last entry was this. I'm slowly freezing to death. These may be my last words. And in fact, they were. Because the man was found dead the next day on the floor of the car. However, what was interesting was this. The refrigerated car was out of order. 
The temperature never dropped below 57 degrees. It was his perception of reality that was his ultimate demise. See, perception affects reality. Fear is an interpretation of life. So we must understand the disciples and we must understand ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is this storm is no surprise to Jesus. Remember, it was Jesus who led them into the storm. Remember? Come with me and let's go aside to the other side of the lake. Why would Jesus do this? Because faith is tested in the storm. The storm reveals what we believe. And fear is an interpretation of our life and our faith. So my question for you today is this. What's your formula? Situation plus self plus God equals X. You started a new business. You were tired of working for the man, and so you said, I'm going to go out on my own, and I'm going to put capital up, and I'm going to make my way, and I'm going to do something special. But the economy is hard. Things aren't moving along as well as you hoped they would. Money is going backwards out of the account instead of into it. And along comes that dread. What happens if this doesn't turn around? Situation plus self plus God equals fear. Your child's been in an accident. They're in surgery. They're in a car. There's a problem. They live two states from here. The situation is difficult. They don't know if he or she is going to live. And you look at yourself and wonder, what can I do? I have no skills. And then maybe you look at God and say, I don't know if he's going to do anything. Situation plus self plus God equals fear. But you know what's so interesting when we look at Jesus on this boat? Such a contrast between the disciples and Jesus. You ever wonder, why the heck is Jesus asleep on the back of the boat? I mean, these are stormy conditions. Everybody could go down to the ship, and yet Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat. The reason Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat is because he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's not afraid of anything. See, Jesus is the one that we must come to right away. So do you come to Jesus right away, or is he the last resort? Do you come to him for power, or do you come to him for pity? The first step of any fixing of this situation is this, that we must recognize how we approach God. Because the right fear of God will always lead to calm, but the wrong fear of anything else will always lead to chaos. If we recognize, this is my first point, how we approach God, then we must, number two, realign our fears with God. It's interesting when they finally wake Jesus, isn't it? He wakes up. You know, you get the sense he's kind of perturbed. Why'd you wake me, you know? He wakes up and he gives two different rebukes. Two rebukes. Number one, he rebukes the elements. He wakes up, he sees, he speaks, he orders. And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. This word rebuke in the Greek is very interesting. It's to forbid, to admonish, to command with the implication of a threat. He's rebuking. And he says, Peace. You could translate this in the Greek to hush, be quiet. And the final one, be still, literally means to muzzle. Stop talking. Jesus gets up, he says, hush, be still. 
You know, I thought to myself, that is extremely similar to how I talk to my God, my dog, right? Hey, hush, be still, lay down. And so it was. That great calm came over. The Greek literally says, the water was tranquil. The water laid down. And there was calm. Not only calm, but great calm. In the Greek, mega calm. Just because Jesus with the word said, hey, hush, lay down. Now I've been doing some calculations, okay? The, the Sea of Galilee is 13 feet wide by 8 feet, 13 feet long by 8 feet wide. It's 64 miles in circumference. It has a volume of 0.95 cubic miles. Okay, so a cubic foot of water is this. It's almost a cubic mile. So that means that the amount of gallons it has is 1.5 trillion gallons of water. Okay, now a gallon weighs around 8 pounds, right? So the amount of weight of the water in the Sea of Galilee is 8.7 trillion gallons of water. I've been doing even further calculations. You, you thought I was just a pretty face, didn't you? No, no. I've been working my abacus, and I discovered that the amount of energy it takes to stop, that is produced, to stop one gallon of water moving five feet is 0.16 kilowatt hours. I'm sure you knew that, but I'm just refreshing your memory. 1.6, this is hydroelectric dams. This is how it works, the impact of water. So stopping a, a, a gallon of water Five feet would be 0.16 kilowatts. That's about, if you ran your shaver or your curling hour for an iron, uh, uh, curling iron for an hour, that's about the amount of energy that you would have. So you add it up, and the amount of energy generated by stopping the Sea of Galilee would be 1.4 quadrillion kilowatt hours. Now, the, the city of New York, it takes 104,000 kilowatt hours per minute to power the entire city of New York. So if you look at how many kilowatt hours that is, that's 6.2 million kilowatt hours. So there's 1.4 quadrillion kilowatt hours in the Sea of Galilee. It takes 6.2 million kilowatt hours to run the city of New York. So with one word, how much energy was produced by Jesus? 25.5 years of running New York City by simply saying, hey, hush, lay down. That's not even talking about a storm above the water, is it? That is power. See, Jesus was sleeping because he's not worried. The very word, he can hush the entire sea. So Jesus issues his second rebuke, not to the elements, but to people. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Still is the key word, isn't it? Don't you believe yet? Do you still have no faith? See, Jesus asked the question and then he answers it, doesn't he? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, the issue, my friends, is not the storm on the outside. The issue is the storm on the inside of the disciples' hearts. The issue is not that the boat is filling with water. The issue is their hearts are filling with fear. And Jesus is upset. You know, was it wrong to wake Jesus? I don't think so. I don't think it was wrong to wake Jesus. But the truth of the matter is the fear paralyzed them rather than liberating them. If they had gone to Jesus at the beginning and said, Jesus, 
We don't know what to do about this storm. This is unbelievable, but we know you can do something about it. So we're bringing it to your attention. But that's not what they did, did they? Don't you care that we are going to drown? See, it's interesting. After Jesus performed this unbelievable miracle, imagine if you had been in the boat. Literally could hear a pin drop, couldn't you? Says that they had a new fear. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. See, this word fear, though, is not the same as the other word fear, which meant dread. This fear means awe. Awe in power of God. Awe in understanding this one who is before them, who takes that unbelievable dread and crushes it like a bug. See, the issue of the disciples was not that they were fearing. The issue of the disciples is who they were fearing. The storm, rather than the one who was the calmer of the storm. See, the right fear of the Lord is what brings us to calm. But the wrong fear brings us to chaos. We are going to fear, my friends. The question is, what are we going to fear? Because whatever we fear will determine how we will live. Indeed, what will occur. I remember as a kid, I do, it was fun doing this with my kids, but in the deep recesses of my mind, I remember that time when every little kid gets out on the diving board. Are you with me? Remember when your kids get out and it's the first time on the diving board? By the way, my parents are here. This story is about my dad and my mom. They're there, so if you don't like me, blame them. Okay, But this is the way it is. I'm a little kid. I walk out onto the diving board for the first time. I don't know, five, four, five, six years old. And there's dad in the water, right? Jump, and I'll catch you. And as a little kid, you walk out, and it feels like the Sea of Galilee, doesn't it? This pool is massive. It's a maelstrom. It's huge. And as you're standing on that diving board, maybe, what, four feet, five feet above the water? You might as well be on the skyscraper, you know, the Empire State Building. It's so far down. And as I'm looking at the elements, I'm quaking in my boots, thinking that fear that all of us fear, maybe I should turn around and just run back off this diving room. But then there's Dad. Come on, son. Jump, and I'll catch you. I don't know. But you see, sooner or later in every kid's life, they do this simple equation that the arms of my father are stronger than the power of this sea. And so I will trust in the power of my father greater than my fear of this ocean. And so I jumped, and my father missed me, and I sank to the bottom of the pool. I've never been the same since I've heard, frankly. I hold this a little bit against you. No, he caught me, of course he caught me. Why, because he could. Because he has the power to catch me. You see, my dread of the water was replaced by the awe of my father. It's not a question, my friends, of what we're going to fear. It's a question of who are we going to fear. So just as you think about your life, the problem is not your situation. The problem is who you are fearing. What do you fear? What's the situation going on in your life? What's the scene that's all around you? Is it the drug problem? Maybe it's the bottle. 
Maybe it's the fact that you haven't found a job with over a year of looking. Maybe it's that your spouse betrayed you, and now you're left all alone to raise your kids. What's your sea that's all around you that feels like it's literally going to overwhelm you? This storm that is crippling you so you experience dread. See, what Jesus is saying is not to not have fear, but rather to align your fear, to realign it with me. And so if you and I want to experience the calm of life as God intended it, we must realign our fears. We must cultivate the fear of God. And I'm going to tell you how to do it right here. Number one, we must found our lives on the fear of God. The scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, the foundation of our lives is set on something, isn't it? It's either our circumstances, it's either our abilities, or it's on the power of God. The fear of God means the awe of God. So we must decide that the thing that we will put all of our weight on is the power and awesomeness of God. To do that, we must acquire knowledge, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We must not only realign our fear and base it on God as our foundation, we must acquire knowledge. Well, how do we do that? God's Word is the first place we go. Everything that I've been talking about comes to you from God's Word. These stories have been given to you and me so we might understand what God is like and how we must behave and believe. The scriptures tell us that the Bible, the words of God, literally are alive. And that as you take them in, they change your life. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. See, to base our life on the foundation of the fear of the Lord, we must decide how we are going to spend our time and how we are going to spend our money. If you don't have any time for God, your foundation is not on the fear of the Lord. If you're not willing to take your resources to get in a place to get what you need, you are not basing your foundation of your life on the fear of the Lord. It's amazing in North America. You can walk into a Bible store. You can get any Bible you want, any search tool that you want, if you go and seek to acquire knowledge. If you want a great Bible, I'll tell it to you right now. ESV Study Bible. 22 bucks, Amazon.com, one click. It'll be there in two days. Wonderful tool to help us acquire knowledge. Second thing we must do to acquire knowledge other than God's words, we must pray. We must test the Lord to see if He's there. It's a big step of faith, isn't it? To talk to someone that you don't even know is there. But that's what faith is all about. Faith, according to Hebrews, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because whoever would come after Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So we must learn to fear God, we must acquire the knowledge of God, and finally, we must obey God. See, we submit to what we fear, don't we? 
Whatever we fear masters us. And God says, if you are truly to fear me, then you must follow and obey me. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so they came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He is humble, he who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. If we desire to know the fear of the Lord, we must realign ourselves in how, who we fear, what knowledge we seek to acquire, and who we obey. Because the right fear of the Lord will always lead to calm, but the fear of anything else will lead to chaos. This brings me to my final point, that God calls us not only to recognize how we approach God, not only to realign our fears with Him, but to rejoice in the Son of God. You know, as I've read this passage, I've thought to myself, you know, I think Jesus was hurt for two reasons. Jesus was hurt by what they said. Number one, they didn't believe that he could do anything. And number two, they believed that he wouldn't care. Jesus saying, don't you realize who I am? Are we not the same when we go to God? I think sometimes the reason we don't go to God is not that we don't believe that he can't do anything. But rather we believe that he probably won't. But this story gives us hope, my friends, because this story is a picture. There is a perfect reason why this story mirrors that of Jonah. Jonah equals the Son of Man, right? They're both asleep. They're both in a storm. But something is very different. See, Jonah, the storm comes. Why? Because Jonah is guilty of running from the Lord. The storm is meant to stop Jonah, isn't it? But Jesus is asleep on the boat, and he hasn't done anything wrong, has he? Who is the storm for? The storm is for the disciples. The storm is for you and me, who have disobeyed God and decided to fear other things rather than him. And this boat is sinking, isn't it? The boat is sinking because the judgment of God is on us. How was the problem solved in the story of Jonah? The guilty one was thrown overboard, wasn't he? And the sea was calm as he went down to the depths in the belly of the whale. But who was thrown overboard in the story of man? See, Jesus is the one who said, you know what? I'm willing to be overthrown overboard for you that you might have life. And what was this throwing? It was the cross. It was Jesus jumping out of the side of the boat, going down into the depths of the earth. For Jesus said, as the sun, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And Jesus said, I will die for you. This storm that is seeking to sink you, I will bring upon myself. And as I experience the tempest of your sin, you, as you, if you believe in me, will experience great calm. Don't you care that we're drowning? The answer, Jesus says, is yes. There's no greater love than he who would give up his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did. See, the greatest miracle of Jesus' life is not that he calmed the storms. 
The greatest miracle in Jesus' life is that he calmed the storm of the wrath of God and brought great peace to his people. So my encouragement for you is this. Everybody's afraid of something. The fear of anything else will lead to chaos. But if you put your fear on the Lord, you make the foundation of your life the fear of the Lord, you will experience the calm, no matter what the storm, because God's desire is to bring us peace. And that peace is in that boat who is himself. Let us pray. Lord, you show us through this story the truth that the boat is sinking, that we are the guilty party, that the wrath of God should come upon us. And left to ourselves, Lord, we would perish. But you, Lord, who, who calmed the storm and stilled the seas, did that in our hearts and can do it because you have given your life as a propitiation of our sin, even though you were innocent. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for people right now in this room who may not know you, who may have never called out to you and said, help. Lord, that they would call out and that you would come to them and you would lift them up. In your death on the cross, you would give them life and peace. And I pray for those right now in the congregation who do believe in you but are experiencing the storm and their eyes aren't on you. And maybe they're saying to you, don't you care that we're drowning? Rather, they would look to you in fear and look to you in faith. And they would know the peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. For the right fear of you always leads to peace. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.